Well, hey gang, thanks again for being with us this morning. Uh, it's an honor to be able to be here with you and to open God's word with you today. Um, I find it really hard to believe we're into December now. I don't know where the time has gone, uh, but here we are. And this is a really unique time of year because there's all sorts of things happening. It's, it's kind of an intersection of several different perspectives and things to consider. Like for instance, here in December, we're looking back on the year that just was. Somebody says, I'd love to forget the year that just was. Then we're also looking forward to the year that's about to begin. And we're wondering, what's that gonna bring to me? What's that gonna mean for me? And then in the middle of all that, we've got this holiday season where uh, there's sentimentality and there's tradition and there's memories and there's all that kind of stuff. And it, through all of this, it kind of makes this swirl of, of an opportunity for people to stop and consider. This is a very reflective time of year for some people. People will stop and consider, how have I been doing anyway? I've just been going 100 miles a minute and I'm just going to like stick my head above the water for a sec. How am I doing? Some people will think, how, how are my kids doing? How is my spouse doing? How am I doing in my work life these days? A lot of people at this time of year will stop and consider where they are with God when they may not at another time of year. That's, I think, one reason we see more people tend to be in church on Christmas Eve. So in all this, if this is a time of year where uh, we're prone to stopping and considering, or it's a ripe time for us to stop and consider, what I want us to do as the people of God, I want us to stop and consider one aspect of our faith, one specific aspect, and that is our mission. At home this morning, say your mission, our mission. And I don't want to do this just because of the time of year. We're also kind of at an intersection and, and a big swirl of activity in our church's history as well, right? We've just come out of this season where we've been renting the space for a long time, and now we've got this amazing space that's ours, and it's awesome. Praise the Lord. And there's also things like COVID where we didn't even know what that was nine months ago, and then... And then it came and we were locked down and then it eased and then we're back in it a little bit and we hope it goes away soon. And then through all that, we're trying to make plans for the future and seek the Lord's will and all of that. Hey, in all of this, we don't want to lose our focus on the mission. We don't want to lose our priority on the mission. Somebody might say, I didn't even know we had a mission. Well, we do. And we're going to talk about that for three weeks, including today. So I'm excited. Let's get into it. Um, I looked up the word mission. Uh, I just did a quick Google search and I got a couple of definitions. One is uh, a mission is any important task or duty that is assigned, allotted, or self-imposed. Another definition says a mission is an important goal or purpose that is accompanied by strong conviction, a calling, or vocation. Here's another way of saying that. Missions are important. Missions are prioritized. Missions are things that are emphasized. There's a sense of urgency that accompanies a mission. Uh, there's special attention and time and resources put into a mission. Not even in a Christian sense, just in general. Here's an example. It's been 10 years ago, 2010, seems like not that long ago, uh, the Copiapo mine disaster. You might remember that happening. That was where 33 miners got trapped in a mine underground in Chile. And they were there for 70 days. And if you remember it, there was a crazy mission that was undertaken to rescue those miners. Um, 
A lot of energy, planning, attention, focus, news coverage went into that. Uh, a lot of resources went into that. I read that it cost $60 million just to rescue them. That's not the whole mining operation. That was the rescue. $60 million. And one-third of those, $20 million, came from just private donations, individuals across the world, people just chipping in. Now, when the day came to start extracting the miners, it's estimated that one billion people around the world watched the live stream of that event. So that's time, that's energy, that's resources, that's attention and emphasis put on that. This was not a case of, oh yeah, the miners, you know, uh, yeah, I guess they're down there. I don't know, someone's probably working on something and we'll figure it out. That's not, that's not what happened at all. Well, so we need to have that same attitude as Christians about our mission. We can't just say, oh yeah, you know, I guess someone's working on it. Oh yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah, there's probably a plan somewhere. No, like where's our energy? Where's our focus? Where's our attention put into that? I, I would just submit that in anything, if you're considering something mission, but you don't prioritize it or invest in it or work toward it or think about it, it's probably not that important to you. Is it really even a mission at all for you? So we want to get on the same page and on the same heart as the Lord about our mission. And today I want to give you three things, three points to kind of set the table for us. The first point is this. Our God is missional. Our God, to say it another way, is on a mission. And we may not think of him as such a lot of the time, right? Sometimes people mistakenly think of God as this distant, far-off, absent, non-involved figure, right? Like you look around and say, well, this world like, doesn't really seem like God is showing up and doing very much. Like, did he oversleep? Like, did he miss his connection? What happened? Well, that's not what we believe about God at all. We believe that God is living and active and He's always moving and He's working and He's speaking and He's working toward something. I want you to know that God has a purpose for what He's doing in the world. I want to just set this up for you, though. It all begins... If you pick up your Bible and you open it to the first page that's not the table of contents, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing except for God, and He just created it. Everything that's been made was brought into life by the Word of God. And when He created everything, it was good. It was perfect. It was pleasing to Him. There was no death, destruction, wickedness, anything like that. It was a perfect reflection of God's glory and His creativity and His nature and His character. And part of that creation, of course, is us, humans. I, I feel like I'm always pointing you guys back to Genesis 1, verse 27. Genesis 1, 27. Genesis 1, 27. It says that God created them, male and female, in His own image. That's a huge verse. God made us in His own image. That means part of our design and our very function is to bear the image, the, the, the likeness, the glory of God, so that when the rest of creation sees us, we'd be like a reflector, just pointing attention right to the Lord. And I want you to understand, like this is a big thing. Some people will say humans are just advanced animals or evolved monkeys or something. That's not the case at all. Like, this is a place of honor and esteem. The Bible says that God placed us just a little lower than the angels. So we have a super important role to play as humans in God's created order. Here's the problem. We have all failed to live up to that. 
We have all done things, said things, acted in such a way as to not properly bear God's image. We have rebelled against God. We have gone against God. We have turned our backs on God. We have said, I can live without God. All of this is sin. And sin is a gross violation of God's glory and His nature and, and His image and His reputation. And sin has fractured God's created order. I want you to understand something. Like, we have sinned as people, but it's not just us that gets affected. The world is affected. From the moment that sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, a.k.a. not long after we were made, the whole of creation was affected. So we're talking like plants and animals. We're talking about the planet as a whole, the ozone layer, that kind of stuff. Everything gets affected by sin because this world is not a place where sin was supposed to be. And it's taken what God created to be good and it's broken it. It's shattered it. And here's the, the big problem for us is that our sin has separated us from God. Sin uh, is imperfection. Sin is that rebellion, that darkness, that wickedness. And that is a complete opposite of who God is. So rather than bearing God's image and also being in relationship with God, that's another part of our design and our function, sin comes along and it severs that connection. It severs that relationship. We are separated from God by our sin. And that's terrible. That's terrible. This is not how God intended things to be. I really need you to know that this morning. When you look around at the world, or when you consider your situation, if you're suffering, or, or whatever your circumstances are, like God did not intend for the world to be this way. The world is the way that it is because of the presence of sin. Sin has totally wrecked everything. The world is but a shell of its former self before sin entered in. Picture what a forest looks like after a forest fire has gone through. There might be a few trees left standing, and you might be able to say, yeah, that used to be a forest. But that's no thriving forest. That's not, that's not how it was supposed to be. That's what sin is like. And what I want you to understand is, from the moment that sin entered the world, from the moment that sin entered our lives, God did not need to do anything to help us. God was under no obligation at all. He didn't have an IOU for us. You know, He didn't just owe us one. God did not need to do anything to help us. As a matter of fact, what we rightfully deserved was the wrath of God. We rebelled against Him. We deserved to pay for that. God did not need to do anything to help us. Even after we totally fractured His created order and this thing that He made that was so good, even though things were so far off the rails because of us, listen, God didn't wipe us out. He had every right to. He did not. And I think we just you know, brush past that so quickly. We take it for granted. We, have, we are a people who, just by our continued existence on this planet, we have not received what we deserve to our benefit. And what I would say as well, though, is not only did God not destroy us, just utterly destroy us the moment we went off the rails, I said Genesis 3 is where sin entered human history. In that very same chapter, right at the same time, the moment that sin enters the world, God reveals His plan that he's working on to bring it all back together. And here is God's plan. 
I love this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. It says that God, through Jesus, is working to reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. Another verse in similar vein to that one is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. It says that in Christ, God was reconciling all things to himself. So we've established that God made all things and he made them for his glory, for his purposes, and because of us, it's all gone to pieces. Well, his mission is to reconcile all of that, to bring it all back to how it's supposed to be. God's mission is to make it so that one day, all of sin, all evil, all death, all destruction, all wickedness will be ended permanently so that the world will one day exist the way that God intended for it to be. And that day won't be fully realized until Jesus, uh, our Lord, returns. But until that day comes, God is working on this. God is working toward this plan. God is on this mission to take the broken creation and put it back together how He intended for it to be. I think that's amazing. That says so much about God. And you might ask, okay, well, how does he do this? A great question. We just answered it. We just read Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. I'll, I'll emphasize a part of it again. Through Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself. And he does this by making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. We've established already that all creation is uh, involved in, marked by, scarred by sin. We're all in that boat. And the problem is that boat is sinking. Sin is not just this, you know, oh, that's too bad, but, you know, it'll sweep it under the rug and whatever, you know. Sin requires payment. God deals with every sin. Every sin that's ever been sinned, every sin that's going on now, and every sin that will happen. God deals with everyone. The Bible actually says the wages of sin is death. In other words, when we sin, as a result of sin being in our lives, we are put to death. We are put to death, apart from the blessing and the, the provision and, and the love uh, and, and the, the benefits of being in a relationship with God. We're separate from that. We lose it. Death. And I want you to understand that in our own stock, in our own bodies, in our own efforts and resources, we cannot do anything to change that situation. We can't do anything to change our destination there. It's not, I'll work harder, I'll, I'll try to impress God, I'll go to church faithfully, uh, I'll be a good person, I'll do more good than bad, I'll pay off my debt to the Lord. It does not work that way at all. It's, it's this chasm between us and God that we can never cross on our own. We cannot ever build a bridge that's sufficient to do it. And apart from God's help, uh, we're, we're done. We're done. Here's something that's super cool, though, is that God provides help from the outside. Our, our help, our hope, what we really need does not come from within us. God provides it. It's external to us. God actually gives not just something, God gives everything to rush to our aid and to fix our problem and to deal with our sin issue. God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross in our place for our sin. And through Jesus' death, His death on a cross, 
Sin is paid for. He drank the entire cup of God's wrath on the cross for sin. And not only that, though, not only did Jesus die for sin, Jesus rose victoriously. Jesus himself was without sin, therefore the grave couldn't hold him. He rose to life. And the cool thing for us is that as we now trust in Jesus, as we now accept Jesus, as we now believe that He is God, that He died for us, that He rose for us, and we repent of our sins, that means we turn from our old life and we purpose to follow Jesus, we are saved. We are forgiven. We are made new. We are reconciled to God. Reconciled is the buzzword in here. Through Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Through Jesus, we are reconciled to God. We are brought back in close and we are restored to relationship with Him. We are restored to the life that He always intended for us. It is amazing. And I cannot overstate the importance of that. And I would say if you're listening to this and you're not a believer, this is priority one for you. If you want to know God, if you want to be right with God, if you want to have the peace of God, if you want to have the blessing of God, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to live the life you were supposed to live from the very beginning, you need Jesus. Accept in Him. Accept Him. Trust in Him today. Believe that He is the Lord, that He died and rose for you. I would love it if you would reach out and contact us. Connect with us. We'd love to talk to you about this. God is offering you an opportunity to come into the life you were always meant to live through Christ. Jesus, what I'm saying is that Jesus is the means by which God carries out His mission. And it's only Jesus. There's not multiple ways to heaven. There's not different plans. This is the plan. It's plan A, and that's the only one. One last thing to mention in this, in this point is, you might hear all of this so far and say, okay, that's fine, but there's one thing I just don't get. There's one thing I just can't wrap my head around. Why would God do this? There's a question for you. And people have grappled with this and wrestled with this for hundreds of years. Because logically, it doesn't really make any sense, right? Okay, here's God, perfect. He's God, and, and here's us, less than perfect, not perfect. Uh, we've rebelled against Him, but He goes to great lengths, gives His only Son to fix my problem after, you know, after what I've done. You guys know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life it is the love of god it's it's certainly not because we deserved it the, the missional activity of god in the world god working to reconcile all things to him and bring things back to, to a restored place in him that says a lot more about him than it does about us god did not send Christ to us. God did not save us because we're so lovable. Right? God did not save us because we're so worthy of it. There, there are theologies that exist out there and they bug me. And it's that, well, you know, when you look at the cross, you know, it shows that, you know, we're, we were so worthy. Like, God had to save us. We're, we're, I'm a diamond. I'm a snowflake. I'm a masterpiece. And God, God wouldn't be so foolish just to, you know, throw me in the garbage. That's not the case at all. Like, I want you to know, you, listen, you are loved by God. You are. You are loved immeasurably by God. But it's not because you're so lovable. 
Let that minister to you. You have worth in the sight of God, but it is not because you in and of yourself are worthy. It's because God has chosen to make it so. God has chosen to say so. And it, it defies our logic. It defies what our minds can comprehend that God would love us and declare us worthy despite you know, what we've done and, 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 and the things we've done against Him. But He does. And it's amazing. So I want you to know that today. Our God is a missional God. We're going to move on to point number two. If our God is a missional God, point number two is this. We, believers, are a missional people. We are a missional people, or at least we should be. So this applies to all of us as believers. What really we're saying as believers, when we come to Christ, what we're really saying, every one of us is this, Jesus, you're my number one now. Jesus, you are Lord. You are my master. You are the king. Your top priority, uh, what you say goes. I will follow you. I will trust in you. I will obey you. I will worship you. So this means that when Jesus speaks, we ought to listen. This means that... This also means that part of the thrust of our lives is to, to, to grow, not just you know, in any particular growth, in any, you know, in any likeness. We are to grow into the likeness of Christ. Jesus is our master, and, and we as the followers, the students, the disciples, we grow into that. We grow into to being more like Christ. And so I want to read, uh, it's a wonderful verse to you, 2 Corinthians 5.18. We read verse 19 that said, In Christ God was reconciling all things to Himself. Look at verse 18. God, through Christ, reconciled us to Himself, we just said that, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, I love that verse, because I want you to see how closely that aligns with the person and the work of Jesus. It's not like Jesus is doing this, and you know we're over here doing something completely different. God is working to reconcile all things to Himself. He's, he's investing in that. He's working on that. He's moving in that direction. And He gives us the ministry of reconciliation so we can work on it too. Now... Only God can do certain things. I'm not saying, you know, we're on the same level as God. Only God can convict someone of sin. Only God can change someone at the heart level. Only God can forgive sin. But we get to join in on what God is doing in the world. That's what that verse tells us. It's, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1 even uses the word, working together with God. So we get to work and serve and give of ourselves, my friends, to something that's bigger than us. We get to work and serve and give ourselves to the ministry of reconciliation. We get to see, we get to work and serve and give ourselves to see people be reconciled to God. We get to work and serve to see people's lives and legacies changed. That is amazing. And we cannot overlook that. So I would just ask you today, are you missionally minded? Are you missionally focused? Are you missionally motivated? Do you even care? We need to wake up, not just us, but the, the, the people of God, capital C Church. we got to wake up and smell the coffee here. Because listen, you can't claim Jesus as Lord, but then reject the mission that He gives you. That's like really, what that's saying is, well, I'm still Lord. I'm still on the throne. I'm still the top dog. And Jesus, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. I'll take these parts of what you're offering, but I reject this. That's foolishness. 
So we're going to talk specifically starting next week about what our mission specifically is and what it looks like. But, but I want you to not miss the high level kind of hint on that today. Our mission is in line with this reconciling business. It's the ministry of reconciliation. That is what God is working on, and that is what God is inviting us to work on as well. But for today, I want to end with point number three, which is the why of the mission. Somebody say the why of the mission. I'm a millennial, and one of the brushes that we millennials tend to get painted with is, oh, you millennials have an authority issue. You never, you know, just obey what you're told. You're always asking questions. You're always defying, you know, what your superiors tell you to do. I don't know if there's any uh, huge truth in that, but even if there's a little bit, I could see it a little bit in me because it drives me nuts when I'm asked to do something or I'm doing something and I see no conceivable purpose for it. Like, I'm not above doing any tasks, menial tasks, I'll do whatever, as long as I can see what the purpose of it is. With regard to our mission, God is not calling us to blind faith or blind obedience. He clearly tells us why we should be focused on this. So here's what I want you to do. Grab your Bible, turn it to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, and while you're finding that... I'm going to tell you a few things that are not the why of our mission, not the reason why we should engage in the ministry of reconciliation. It's not for us to feel good. Uh, it's not for us to grow large churches. It's not for us to be the talk of the town and look awesome. It's not it at all. 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 9. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Let's pick through that quickly. It starts out by saying you. The you here is plural. It's talking to all of us as believers. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is for you. This is, this is about you. You, it says are. Now, you are is not past tense. I used to be this or do this. It's not future tense, like someday I'll grow into this. You are currently, right now, a chosen race. And we hear a chosen race, we can go way down the rabbit hole here of things like predestination and election. But here's what I just want you to understand. The glorious truth of this today is that you are chosen. If you're a believer, God has chosen you. You are not a part of God's family by accident. You were not saved by some mistake or some misprint. Uh, you are not here in God's family or in our Harbor family by happenstance. God has chosen you and He's fully chosen you and He's fully accepted you and He has fully welcomed you. And I think the enemy would try to rub that uh, in our faces that we're not. He, he lies and smears us with that. You're not loved. You're not accepted. You're not welcomed. Stop wearing those things. You are a chosen race. God has chosen you if you're a believer. Okay, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, it says. I love the imagery there. The priesthood was uh, instituted in the Old Testament by God 
And the priest's role, biblically, was to be the connecting point between the holy God and the sinful people. Right? The holiness and the unholiness can't go together, or it's not going to go well for one of those demographics. So God, because He wants to be relational with His people, He institutes the priesthood to serve as that middle ground, that connecting point. Priests would serve God on behalf of the people, and the priests would serve the people on behalf of God as well. Priests would stand in the gap between people and God. Priests would make sacrifices. Priests would make atonement for people's sins. Um, you get that. Think missionally about this. A royal priesthood, such as ourselves, God is calling us to stand in the gap and minister to people for Him. Right? And that word royal, by the way, if we're a royal priesthood, Again, Satan tries to, you know, rub things in our face like you're, you're a peasant or you're a dirtbag in the kingdom or some second-rate citizen in the kingdom. No, you are a royal priesthood. I'll get you to get a little touchy-feely here for a second. Like, if you're a Christian, you are a son or daughter of the king of all kings. And may I remind you that you are fully chosen and welcome and accepted. You are a royal priesthood. So God is calling us to stand in the gap for people, missionally, reconciliation. Think about it. We are a chosen race, uh, a royal priesthood. We're also a holy nation, 1 Peter 2.9 says. Holiness means perfection. Holy means set apart, perfect, other than, different. God is holy. God actually tells us, His people, He says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. That's what He calls us to. So therefore, our words as Christians, our actions, our thoughts, our conduct, our very lives are to be holy and blameless. Not so that we can go you know, cram that down the throat of people who aren't believers and because we're holier than thou. No, our holiness serves as a witness and a testament to who God is. When the world around us sees the holiness in our lives, it's supposed to point them right to Jesus, the true Holy One. You understand what I'm saying? We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and we're a people for His own possession, God's own possession. That word for in there, uh, that's a super important word. That's a purpose statement. We are a people for, for the purpose of, his own possession. Uh, it's Romans 1.6 is a verse that says, we are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Called to belong to Jesus. Life then, as a Christian, it's all about belonging to the Lord and worshiping Him and enjoying Him and finding our identity and our purpose and our mission in Him. That's what life is all about. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That. Now there is the swing word in this verse. That. It's like a hinge. That. Um, all the other stuff we just read hinges on this. We're all of this so that, in order that, you may proclaim. Here's what I want you to know today. Your life is a proclamation. Your life proclaims something. With the, the sum total output of your life proclaims, declares, shouts, screams something. I don't care who you are, where you're at with the Lord, your life proclaims something. Uh, it's like a big billboard or a sign that just points uh, passers-by, points their attention to something. 
What does your life proclaim, my friend? What is the proclamation that your life is making? Is it, I'm all about myself. I love money. I'm in it for number one. I'm addicted to sex. I am enslaved to substances. What is your life proclaiming? We, as Christians, have a target to aim at. Our proclamation that our lives are supposed to produce is this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Oh, my word. Excuse me. I love that verse. That's what our lives are to be proclaiming. In all things, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That when people look at us, they would see Jesus. That when people look at us, they would see the holiness and the, and, and the hope of Jesus and the joy and the peace of Jesus. Our lives are to be, be proclaiming Him. Look, I'm getting going here. We're pro to proclaim that Jesus is God, that Jesus is King, that Jesus reigns, that Jesus loves, that Jesus saves, that Jesus is good, that He is mighty, He is merciful, He is loving, He is kind, He is faithful, He is my rock, He is my hope, He is my Savior. Our lives are supposed to proclaim that, hey, I belong to the one who is excellent, the excellencies of. I belong to the one who is glorious. I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I belong to the one who, look here, called me out of darkness. Jesus Christ has saved me and He's saved you if you're a Christian. He has saved us from a, a hopeless life of misery and sin and despair and emptiness and hopelessness. But not only that, oh my word, not only that, He didn't just you know, take us out of that bad situation. He, it says, has brought us into His marvelous light. So not only is the bad taken care of and we're just in some neutral ground, we are set in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We, we, that, that bad situation we're in is replaced by good things and blessings. We now have salvation in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. We have hope in Christ. We have peace and joy in Christ. We have more love than we can ever comprehend in Christ. We, have, we are a people who have received mercy in Christ. We have a purpose in Christ. We have a mission in Christ. And we have eternal life in Christ. Are you thankful for that today? That, my friends, right there is called living. That is living. So let me sum all that up. Okay. We, I'm about to just like float up off the floor here. We, Christians, are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession. So that, in order that we may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What's his name? Jesus. And I want you to see this foundational truth today. No matter who we are or where we are, we are called to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. That is code for being missional, by the way, because that's ultimately what our mission is all about. God doesn't reconcile us to Him in Christ so that we can be exalted. God doesn't, God doesn't reconcile us to Christ just so our life can get a little you know, uh, better or that we can you know, be spared from a little bit of pain. God's, uh, yes, all of that, but... but, but 
But God's ultimate reason for doing this is that people would see Jesus, high and exalted, ruling and reigning, strong to save, mighty in battle, Jesus, the giver of life, Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, Jesus, the producer of peace, Jesus, the sustainer of our souls. The mission, my friends, is not about us or our churches or whatever being lifted up. Our mission is all about seeing Jesus lifted up. And so we're going to talk again next week. We're going to start looking at the details of what our mission actually is. But don't miss the high level. Don't miss the important fundamentals here. Our God is missional and he's on a mission. Therefore, we ought to be a missional people as well, following in the likeness and the pattern and the precedent of the Lord Jesus. And the reason we do that is ultimately for the glory and the fame and the renown of the one who loved us and saved us. Are we good? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks today for your word. We give you thanks, Lord, that we can consider you and we can see that you are on a mission, that you are a missional God. It's in your nature, God, because of the love you have for us, because of the great love that you just are, God, that you would reach out and that you would save us and that you would draw us into yourself, that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would, that you would uh, cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and our iniquities and our, and, our, uh, and our unworthiness, God, and you would bring us into your presence and, and cause us to be reconciled to you, God. Thank you for that this morning. God, we thank you as well that you have called us to be a missional purpose, uh, people. God, that you've given us that purpose. You've given us a job to do. We don't just have to sit around and wait for you to return. Like you expect us to be busy and, and working on stuff. And, and that stuff is that we can see others reconciled to you. The reconciliation of all things. And God, our prayer, my prayer is that in my life and in our lives as your people, God, we would see you high and lifted up through all of this. That, that when we engage in missional activity, that when we reach out to others, that when we seek to um, impart the ministry of reconciliation and, and operate in that, God, it wouldn't be for our benefit. It wouldn't be just so we can grow a big church. But God, it would be so that you could be high and exalted and lifted up and worshipped and praised and glorified. Lord, as we continue to talk this morning and as we go about our different ways and as we are going to dig deeper into, into our mission in the coming weeks, God, I pray that you'd open our minds, open our hearts, um, and cause us to be in your will. Give us the strength to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. God bless.